How to Estimate an ICT Project, Part 2. Welcome to the show where we tackle the tough questions that are submitted by installers, project managers, estimators, IT personnel, and customers. On this show, we connect at the human level so that we can connect the world. If you're watching this show on YouTube and you like or get value from this content, please hit the subscribe button and the bell button to be notified when new shows are being published. There's also show notes below. If you're listening to us on one of the podcast platforms such as iTunes, Stitchers, or one of those other platforms, would you mind consider leaving us a rating, hopefully a five-star rating? Both of these steps help us take on the algorithm so that we can more people can hear our message, so we can educate, encourage, and enrich the lives of more people in the industry. Also, make sure to join our After Hours live stream broadcast on YouTube, LinkedIn, TikTok, and Instagram on Thursday nights, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time where you get to ask your favorite RCDD questions. If you submit questions to questions at letstalkcabling.com, they get preference. And finally, while we provide this content free of charge, and we always will, if you would like to support this channel and you have access to additional information, check out the QR code on the screen and you can buy me a cup of coffee. You could schedule a one-on-one 15-minute Zoom call with me after hours, or you can become a Patreon member and enjoy additional benefits there. You could visit our Amazon links page and buy stuff off of that, and I make a small little stipend of it. You won't pay any extra, but I'll make a little bit of stipend, and it goes to paying for the support on the channel. Last week, we began a two-part series on how to estimate ICT projects and covered what skills it takes to become a great estimator. This week, we focus on the mechanics of estimating ICT projects. Now, keep in mind, this is a podcast and vlog, and it can take up to months or sometimes years to truly learn how to become a good estimator and what it takes to estimate. So this episode is not meant to be a end-all, be-all, inclusively how-to. But hopefully, at the end of this show, you'll be able to take tidbits from this and become a better estimator. If you would like me to make a class on estimating, let me know in the comments section below or send me an email. There are many types of estimates out there, including macro, micro, rough order of magnitude, top-down, bottom-up, just to name a few. So to streamline this episode, we're only going to focus on micro-estimating. Micro-estimating is breaking work down into WBS, or Work Breakdown Structures, which is a hierarchical system that organizes many tasks. Those tasks can be organized and quickly turned into production units for the project manager so they can track the project. Your goal is to have 100% of your work breakdown structure in your estimate. Today, this will be an exercise in a detailed cost estimate. In our business of design and cable construction and profitability, we are linked directly to the ability to estimate accurately and completely. The better your project management tracking, the more accurate your bids will be. The more accurate your bids will be, the more work you will win and the less money you or your company will lose. If it's a close, it is a closed loop and estimating and project management are linked together. Your most successful companies understand this. The estimating process can be broken down into four distinct phases, initiation and research, assessment, analysis, and presentation. But first, let's discuss what is estimating. Estimating is developed in forecasting the cost and schedule of a project, 
And once that is developed, then it's up to the management to decide their strategy based on who their competitors are, the marketplace, and ultimately the return that they desire on that project. Some common terms that you will hear include the RFB, RFP, RFQ, and RFI. Let's define them using the Bixie ICT terminology handbook. RFB, Request for Bid, is a type of procurement document and process used to select the best qualified responses for goods, services, and materials. The selection process need not to be exclusively price-driven. Respondents may be evaluated on their technical qualifications and other factors, typically used when requirements are well-defined and when a relatively large number of bidders are expected and or negotiations are not anticipated. This is sometimes called an ITB, Invitation to Bid. RFP is a type of procurement document and process used to solicit proposals from qualified respondents of products or services. The selection process need not to be exclusively price-driven, and the respondents may be pre-qualified and evaluated on their technical qualifications and other factors. Typically, this is used for less finalized project designs where fewer bidders are going to be involved and the final terms will be negotiated. RFQ, Request for Quote, is a type of document generated by owners or owner's agents used to solicit the RFQ. Invitation will pertain to personnel specialized equipment, qualification, skills, experience, special training, certification, licensing, financial stability, and a bunch of other things as well. RFI, Request for Interpretation or Request for Information, is a type of document or process generated by either the owner's agent or contractor to obtain information to clarify the capabilities of various products, services, processes, or requirements, a lot of times used to qualify the RFP that was missing things. The first stage is initiation and research. This is the discovery phase of the project, and you are learning about what the customer wants, and trust me, It may take you several readings or meetings to achieve a clear enough picture to make you comfortable enough to provide a price. When projects are received for pricing, they're usually one of two types, either informal or formal. Informal could consist of something as simple as a phone call. A customer may call you and ask for a price, and if you're a good estimator and you will want to schedule a face-to-face meeting with that customer. This will help you to build that relationship with them, inspire confidence with your abilities, and allow them to get you a better chance to win future projects. This will also give you the ability to see the actual conditions that your crews will be working in, which is going to be a factor in your price. If the request for a price is a different location, then you're going to want to meet that customer at that location. You're going to insist on that. Most informal requests will lack the formal documentation and processes such as the RFP and RFI and maybe even prints. And if you do get prints, they most likely will be very basic in nature. I once bid a project with no prints on a single 8.5 by 11 piece of paper with nine bullet points. These kinds of bids can be challenging, but will certainly feed the creativity of your side as an estimator. With this type of estimate, some great questions you should ask would include, what is your budget for this job? What is your time frame? And are there any special circumstances or days or times that we need to work? Have you or are you seeking prices from other contractors? Now, the reason for that last question is not so you can charge more, but so you may know who you're bidding against. Great estimators will know from experience where their price needs to be to win against the competition and win. We typically don't want to practice estimating. We're good at estimating. We want to win estimates. 
When you are involved in this kind of bid process, documentation is even more critical. You will want to send some kind of email confirmation to the customer after the meeting to document your understanding. It is better to clear up any misconceptions now rather than in the middle of the project down the roads if you win it. In a formal bid process, there's usually going to be an RFP or an RFQ generated in a set of prints and some kind of formal bid meeting. Any questions by the contractors participating in that bid process will have to submit a question formally with the RFI, as I talked about earlier. And the answer will go out to all the contractors who are involved in the bid process. Just because you're in a formal bid process does not mean that you have the information given to you that will be accurate, complete, or even coincide with what the customer wants. Remember the last episode I mentioned that many RFPs will be copy and pasted from previous projects and contain errors? Yeah. Now, during this phase, you may have to research on what to put in the bid so you understand what the customer asked for if you build it and if they're providing the design. Be careful, though. Don't become complacent and think that just because the customer did the design that you are off the hook for any mistakes. If there is a mistake, you can expect the customer to come back to you and say, well, well, you're the professional. Why didn't you tell us about that missing piece? I call the design by customers with mistakes opportunities. You can then, in a tactfully and respectfully way, educate the customer as to the flaws and potentially gain more respect and build trust with that customer. That could lead you to opportunities where you can provide pricing to that customer without having to compete with other contractors. Now, depending on the complexity of the RFP, I would read it a minimum of two times before I would even begin to put a pencil to paper. The first time you read it, you're just getting a feel for the size and the complexity of the project. The second time you read it, you'll start to get a better understanding of the smaller details. And the third time you read it, you'll start to pick out the mistakes in the RFP. Now we begin the assessment stage. You will need to define a bill of material, schedule, other direct costs associated with a complete cost for that project. Project costs can be defined by two types, either direct costs or indirect costs. Direct costs are going to be this cost of clearly chargeable to the project number when they're being tracked. Things like the cable jacks, the faceplates, the racks, the patch panels, and other things like consumables such as tie wraps or lapping film or chem wipes. They, they're going to be, they were purchased for one thing and that is the project. Again, this falls back to tracking. There should be a project number associated with all projects so you can enter labor hours and the materials, consumables, trucks, and tools so you know exactly how much that project costs you and if you're making money. If your company is not tracking project costs, they are taking a huge chance and will not know if they are losing money, maybe even until it's too late. Indirect costs are going to be those associated charged to the job, but that's not their entire cost. For example, a project manager. Unless the RFP requires the project manager to be dedicated to 100% to a job, which doesn't happen, but it does happen sometimes, the majority of the time they will cover 3 to 10 projects at once and the project manager will spread his hours across a number of projects. This helps to keep them lo the price low. The goal of any organization is to keep the project managers 100% billable and not to have any of the hours charged to overhead and to make sure they don't charge more hours to the project than was estimated. So let's get to estimating. Again, as I stated before, there are multiple ways of estimating, but let's just base this show on micro-estimating as many other companies we'll use just such an estimate. Microestimating will be breaking it down to a work breakdown structure, as I mentioned earlier. 
And this closely lines up with the tasks for the project manager so you can track those projects. The first step has already been done, and that is to read the RFP and meet with the customer and determine what their needs are. Based on those meetings, the next logical step is to perform rake-offs on the prints. This is where you will count up all the different types of faceplates and jack options, provided if they have prints. <laughs> and you also, you may not even be given the prints, right? So you need to make sure that you have the total number to determine that with the meeting with your customer or send it with an RFI. To determine the amount of cables, one of two common methods are going to be used. One is averaging and the other is the actual measurements. With averaging, you measure the longest run, the shortest run, you add those two together and add any slack plus any wastage and then divide that by two to determine your average run length. Then you'll multiply that number by the number of cables on the project. While many estimators have used this project for many years without any impact, you have to be careful because this method assumes that those drops are evenly dispersed across the floor. What if that's not the case? What if you have just a couple drops that are extremely long, but the rest are a lot shorter? What if it's the exact opposite is true? You could either end up winning a project or losing a project because of averaging. So make sure you understand how they're evenly dispersed or not. Another method is to measure each run using the path designated on the prints that you drew out. This method will take longer, but it will be more accurate. You will measure all the runs, add the slack, add the wastage for each drop. As an estimator, you will probably use both methods over time of your career as an estimator, but sometimes the customer will just not give you enough time to measure each drop, in which case you're going to have to do averaging, and that's where you have to put in your terms and conditions. You will have to put together a bill of material in the estimating package, and that's going to be a spreadsheet or some type of a computer program. You should enter in each item for the bill of materials on its own line. This is also a good time to send the bill of materials out for pricing for a minimum of three sources from distribution. You also need to associate labor with each one of those items on the bill of material. For, you need, it takes time to install a jack, a patch panel, or a cable. Let's say that you have 125 jacks to terminate, and you assume it's going to take five minutes to terminate each jack. Well, you can take 125 and multiply it by five minutes. That's going to give you 625 minutes. You take 625 minutes and you divide it by 60, and you're going to find it's going to equal to about 10.41 hours. The easier method is to use labor factors. As I said, five minutes is equal to 0 0.083 of an hour. So if you multiply 125 by 0 0.083, you'll get the 10.41 without that extra step of having to divide it by 60. To find out the labor factor of any minute, you just take that minute and you divide it by 60. And in the comment section, make sure you tell me, what is the labor factor for eight minutes? Let's see who's going to be the first and who's going to be correct. Now you have to add any task that does not have material associated with it. Some examples might be travel, mobilization, demobilization, and testing, just to name a few. You may also want to add hours for the project manager, maybe a CAD operator, maybe even warehouse person to drive the materials to your job site. Though those last couple could be argued as overhead and not billable to the project. It just depends on how your company is set up. You will also want to enter all the hours, multiply them by either your hourly sell rate or your hourly crew sell rate, enter the pricing from the distribution for your bill of materials, put your markup on it. Some estimators will add a small amount of, oh my gosh, I forgot it funds, and, and but should be very minimal, if even anything at all. Total up all your materials, add the markup and your total labor, 
times your sale rate, and any other indirect costs with markups such as lifts, rental equipment. Add your G&A, your general and administrative, or your overhead, and voila, you have a price. Just make sure to do a sanity check of your overall price. You should know how much you can sell a drop for in your market. And make sure that you're in that range. If you're high or low, investigate why you're high or low. Find the mistake and understand why your price is the price or what you did wrong. While creating this show, I did decide to go ahead and create that class on estimating. It's going to take a few weeks, but I'll notify you when it is out. And I will submit it for continuing education credit recognition by Bixie. Because, as I said, this was a very simplified explanation of estimating. So stay tuned for that release. If you have any tips about estimating, make sure to put them in the comment section below so we can all benefit from our knowledge. So until then, remember, knowledge is power. That's it for this episode of today's podcast. We hope you were able to learn something. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future content. Also, leave a rating so we can help even more people learn about telecommunications. Until next time, be safe.